Well, you are the brave souls, and I commend you. Jan, stand up. She wants to greet you tomorrow, so I'm going to let her do that. Why do you sit all the way back there? Why? <laughs> it Baptist? Is that what it is? Uh, praise God. Well, it's uh, good to be back with you. It's hard to believe it's been since September. How many of you besides me is September a thousand years back there? A lot of stuff. <clears throat> By the way, I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted in many ways, but uh, I was born and raised in Seattle, so there's a, there's a challenge right there. But, but, my three favorite teams are the 49ers, Denver, and Seattle, so I kind of win any way I go. Lord Jesus. Well, you have, uh, how many of you believe the scripture actually is real? Okay, I'm sure you do. Uh, life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Another way to say that is those that understand it, understand that what you speak brings responsibility and obligation. And you crazy folks have gone way out on a limb and changed your name to Antioch Church. And uh, that's, that's a mouthful. Uh, I was sharing with Jade on the way in here. We've had a number of churches over the years that have been named Antioch and uh, believe in all that. And I'm not sure where all of this is going to go tomorrow, but I do want to uh, lay some foundation tonight uh, I know Cindy was here not too far back, uh, sharing and Ken Gill, who's a dear brother. But uh, I want to talk about what I increasingly talk about uh, wherever I go. I just came back from Mexico City. I was doing a, a major conference there with a bunch of apostolic leaders and John Kelly and some others. And uh, so forgive my, uh, I sound a little raspy, uh, if I all of a sudden say I'm going to make them a deal they can't refuse, you'll understand. It's the voice. It's not me. <clears throat> but I, I got a good cold there, which I'm coming out on the other side. So uh, I appreciated the comment about tapes. Uh, Jan and I would have got here earlier, but our horses broke down. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my chariot, yeah. <laughs> it is funny how that is. When the tech revolution started and all the computers and all the rest of that stuff, I, uh, they're very intimidating to those of us that don't really know how all this happened. And probably for the first time in my life, I could relate to the guys who uh, in the early 1900s said, ah, the horse's carriage probably not going to last. I'm going to sit this out. And uh, it really, it's taken me a while to even get into uh, doing the stuff we all do on computers. And uh, I was talking, that I do some consulting with business company 
a big insurance company in Canada, and they were telling me that uh, in Nevada, and this is a fact, I, don't, I can't remember how many cars they said, but they have like eight or ten cars that have logged almost a million miles without any drivers. Do you understand what I just said? They're being driven by computers. Okay, so if for any reason you see a car driving along and there's nobody in there, it's a computer, seriously, it's a computer-driven car. And I, of course, that's going to change the world. And I said, well, how long are they projecting before that is normal? And they said, within 10 years, we will have large numbers of vehicles driving on the roads that are, you'll see somebody, you know, working their laptop or whatever. And, uh, and I thought, wow, that is, that's where this world is going. Uh, that's, it's crazy. Well, we're out of here by 11 tonight, so. <laughs> no. I went down to uh, Mexico City. They'd invited me to uh, share on the nature of what is political on the Seven Mountains, nature of politics. And then another lecture on the nature of economics and another one on, uh, what was it? some other social issue because some of you know that's my background. Jan and I were educated in political theory and for me macroeconomics and worked as an economist for some years and have had an abiding interest in all that uh, and the management of nations and strategy and choke points and where's my friend, where's my tech guy here, that the army guy? Where are you? Hank, where's Hank? There you are, right there. Yeah, well, by the way, how many of you are rejoicing that Hank is not a, a dodo with the job that he has? <laughs> so, I told somebody, I met somebody here in one of these meetings that was in charge of cyber warfare around that for the United States, and we went in immediate into intercession. Uh, if you don't know why uh, we went into intercession, then you don't understand what this brother does. But uh, I'm going somewhere with this, and I'll get serious. I'm, I'm having fun just for a minute, if you'll allow. I like people, and I don't like to immediately dive down to where we're going because we're going to. You'll need your snorkels and your, I promise you, your air tanks here in a minute. But. Um, I don't want to say if, I want to say since. Since the 20th century, in terms of church history, and by the way, I'm bouncing off Antioch here. Uh, if the 20th century was the century of the rediscovery of the person of the Holy Spirit, how many of you declare the Holy Spirit is not it? I can always tell where somebody is when they talk about, the, if they say the Holy Spirit and they call him it, I say, well, you, you, you're not there yet. Okay, you're, you may be enamored with gifts and you may be enamored with power, but he is a being and God wants you to begin to know him as a being, uh, third part of the Trinity, so to speak. Um, and 
what is hitting the church now globally? And I think I'm enough around the world to be able to say this with some certainty. The, the 21st century is going to be the century of the discovery and in some measure rediscovery of what it means to disciple nations. Um, that is the Great Commission, that we were to go out and disciple nations. And uh, like many things in the church, uh, we have not done much of a job uh, or have been prepared or ready or lost our path. If I got into church history uh, and did a mad dash through church history, uh, which I will do here just for a moment, you had the planting of the church, the seed, uh, so to speak, and Antioch was uh, the church that more than anything else represents the church to the nations. You had the church in Jerusalem, which represented the historicity of the church and the Jewish roots and, and all of the prophets and the law and all that was tied up was historically embedded in the church there in Jerusalem. <clears throat> but Antioch was the church for the nations. And I think it's important that you did change your name. And uh, may the Lord allow you and allow us here to really fill in those shoes. And I'm going to be talking today and tomorrow about some of what filling in those shoes means. But you had the church... Um, initially battling uh, to hold its Jewish roots without holding on to the law. And of course, Paul and numbers of the other brothers there that prophets, prophetesses, the fivefold ministries that were there were pioneering and it must have been an incredibly exciting time and an exciting place to be. They were pioneering the faith. Uh, and I want to talk about that tonight here a little bit because if we're going to really be an Antioch church, we're going to have to be very, very clear on what the gospel is uh, because an Antioch church is a sending church and we want to make sure that whatever is being sent is the real deal. And that is up for grabs in modern Christendom as to what's the real deal and what is an embellishment or something else that is less than what God really intends for his church to be. So he had roughly 300 years of going in and out of persecution and uh, attempting to find their roots. In 325, you have the Christianization of the culture and uh, all that the holy... Uh, Roman Empire meant and what, you know, conquering in, in the cross and all the rest of it. While that culture is disintegrating in some ways like we are disintegrating right now. How many of you are aware we are in a disintegrating phase? Some of you, are, as, as I am deeply concerned about that. And allegedly, I'm sure the, the Roman, the folks there would not have said, wow, we just collapsed. But uh, in 482, 
uh, is the more, some say 486, but within that three or four year period is what we historically say is the end of the Roman Empire. And of course, Augustine has to, uh, his task, uh, that the church shifts from Antioch into North Africa. How many of you know the early church in Africa was, people talk about Christianity as being a white uh, European phenomena. They don't understand anything about the roots. It was Middle Eastern uh, and then African. Uh, and of course, uh, Augustine comes along and they need a theologian, a social philosopher to try and explain how is it possible if we read the verses that this kingdom is going to grow and leaven and change the world and, and we'll look at some of that out of Matthew 13. How do we explain the disintegration of the Holy Roman Empire if all those scriptures are true? And uh, so they go into a identity crisis historically. Uh, the great missions uh, in Europe begin. You've got St. Patrick who blazes a trail on into Ireland and, and England and the early church there in England. Very fascinating uh, stuff going on five, six hundred uh, after King Arthur to whatever degree Arthur was there, but the, he probably was the round table all that stuff that is legend, but I think is based on measure of truth. Dark Ages. Uh, I'm going to go into uh, not much happening. You get to Charlemagne, 800, the revival of the Holy Roman Empire there on Christmas Day in the year 800. Uh, Charlemagne uh, begins the rebuilding, the recollecting of uh, a Christian empire. And the reason I'm talking about that is in the context of discipling nations. In other words, the church is beginning to recover the consciousness that it, uh, the yeasting fact that it had that it was beginning to change society. I think most of you are aware, I hope, that the church grew and it's something we need to be aware of because it's a pattern that we need to be walking in today. It grew by its service to the culture. It was the church that rescued the babies on the garbage dumps. Uh, it was anti-abortion, which was common, of course, in Roman Empire. It was the leavening of Roman law and the, ap the uh, appropriation of Old Testament law uh, that was being applied into the Roman culture. Uh, and uh, while it's not clear how many of the theologians of that day, uh, because they were still primarily working with the nature of the gospel itself, how many of them understood that discipling a nation meant actually changing social systems. They did it, but it seems like in many ways they did it more by default than by a strategy. Uh, and I know there's educated people in here, but by the way, the tragedy is those of us who have been educated really were not educated uh, because the world system did not want us to know a lot of stuff. You get into it, you get really mad. 
because you realize that the, they conned us relative to the level of our education and what they did not tell us. I got so angry as I got into that that I vowed if we ever had children, Jan and I would educate them ourselves because the game was rigged. And uh, it is a rigged game. So there was not a, there was not a clear understanding historically, at least with great specific strategic force, that discipling nations meant that Jesus not only died to redeem us as individuals, he died to redeem the social institutions that God had ordained because they'd been appropriated, misappropriated, and polluted by the world. How many of you believe that marriage is a God-ordained institution? How many of you believe that family is a God-ordained institution? So that anything that God created for the management of community, help us here, Holy Spirit, already, please. Okay, don't hear this as intellectual stuff. This is stuff you need to understand. It's right, the real roots, okay, of theology. God... God is the author of community. Salvation is ultimately a community experience. Okay. The great commandment, love God absolutely, totally, and love your neighbor. And Jesus said those two, the second one is like unto, it's, it's of the same essence. How many of you know heaven is not an individual experience? Or I should say eternity, because heaven is a temporary landing zone for us until we return to the new earth. Is everybody clear here on that? Used to be songs, you know, this earth is not my home, I'm just a passing through, and the answer is wrong, 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 wrong. It is your home. The earth is where we will live in eternity with Jesus Christ. The new earth, everybody clear, okay? So the enemy comes along and tries to strip us initially of the fact that salvation is not just salvation for man as, a, as an individual, it's salvation for community because God has designed us to live in community. We will live in community forever. You read Revelation 22, 1 and 2, and you see that the tree of life reappears from Genesis and the tree of life is bringing forth a healing virtue for the nations. Nations are eternal. We will have ethnicity eternally because God loves variety, okay? And community, if you're going to disciple ethnes, ethnos, which is literally what the Greek says there, you are going to be discipling the context of human community. So everybody get what I'm trying to say? Now this is a spiritual thing. This is not an intellectual concept, okay? Now what is the ecclesia? There's a lot of things we can say about that, but the ecclesia of the church is supposed to be the model community for the nations. Now how many churches do you think there are on this planet that have any idea 
that the gospel is producing model communities so that everybody that is around us can look at our marriages, our families, our interface as a as a measure of eternity now planted on the earth called a church. Okay? That's God saying amen. Thank you, Father. Okay? I want to say that again because the Antioch of the 21st century is going to be a little different than the same heritage but very different than the Antioch of the first century. Okay. If I read Isaiah, got back into Isaiah 2 and talked about the mountain of the Lord and the heathen, which were back to the, the non-Jews, which is what Antioch is all about, the conversion of the Gentiles, and the Gentiles saying, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord so that he may instruct us. If we're going to be an Antioch, we're going to have to understand that that is not just bringing people into our praise, okay? Because they may experience the presence of God in our praise, but in one level, it's just another form of music and community that is taking place. Different than a rock concert, but in many ways similar. I remember listening some years ago when the NBA playoffs were going on and U2 came on. And I got goosebumps because they were singing the song in the, in the place with no name. What's the name of that song? Streets Have No Name, which, by the way, is talking about eternity. That's where you two wrote that, about eternity, where the streets have no name. And I could feel coming out of that television set at the halftime in NBA, probably the closest thing that millions and millions of people who had never been to a church were experiencing the anointing of you 2 because you 2 they are, you know, Bono and those guys are tongue-talking Christians. They were at least when they started. And I think Bono's held on to it in whatever form he's been able to do that, which is not easy to do in the context of the circles in which he runs, okay? But the question is, are we going to become a people who are not just spiritual unto ourselves, but we actually build the management of our internal community in the church in such a way that it is a witness to the Gentiles? The way that we handle conflict, the way that we, the level of honesty the way that we handle sexism, the way that we handle racism, the way that we handle uh, uh, functioning in a dysfunctional community. 
Some of you are aware that by my involvement on the financial crisis that is looming here in the United States, I will tell you for sure that you have not been told the real dimensions of what's going on economically. I know that as, as a fact, not a prophecy, but a mathematical fact. Okay. And the question will be, how do we as a community represent God in the context of the way that we manage our relationships together? Is that too big of a stretch for your mind? Because when you start talking about the Antioch church of the 21st century, you're talking about can we not just take a message, but can we take a culture to a culture that is breaking down and dysfunctional on increasing levels? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Now, that requires another level of spiritual reality because as what most of you understand, many of you understand for sure, crisis is designed to reveal what you really are and what you really believe. You cannot have a revival without a crisis. Because if, we, if I took you to Hebrews 12, 24 to 26, some of you know those verses. He says, the day is coming when that which can be shaken will be shaken. Everything that can be shaken shall be shaken so that a kingdom will emerge that is unshakable and is a beacon of reality. Okay. I am quite sure, both prophetically and because it's my business to know stuff about culture, hard facts, scientific facts, let alone historical facts based on what happens to cultures as they cycle into the cycles that we are now cycling into. We did not invent history, folks. You can see very easily the trajectory of what happens when culture breaks down. Those of you that are interested in this, just read Isaiah chapter 3, and spend some time in there and you'll get a clear chronology of exactly what culture looks like and when the various pieces fly off the boat or fly off the plane. Isaiah 3, it's a real educational thing and any of you that are really serious about this stuff need to spend some time in Isaiah 3. And I say just take note of the fact that the first person to leave the scene in Isaiah 3 is the mighty man and the warrior and the priests and the prophets follow after that. And that's very interesting that the first person to, to leave are the, are the warriors who actually believe there are things worth dying for. 
Think about that. As that concept of absolutes in a postmodern world is now on us, that anybody that thinks anything that is worth dying for is an idiot because there's nothing worth dying for because all this stuff is just a matter of subjective personal opinions in any event. Now, I want to take us real quick, and I said we'd dive and get, you know, dive. I'm going to dive. Let's go to Galatians 3 first. Paul here in the book of Galatians is dealing with the continual incursion, the encroachment, the theft of the enemy against the nature of, of what salvation and what this gospel that we call the gospel of salvation, or I would call it more properly the gospel of eternity and eternal life. And Paul is in the middle of this war with not just the law. It's a little more deeper than just the law. He's in a battle here theologically around what is the nature of what Jesus Christ came to give us in terms of life. Is it about performance, i.e. good and bad, or is it about something that is even more fundamental and profound than behavior? And Paul grabs this thing and he says here in Galatians 4 and uh, you've probably talked about huios and nepio somewhere along the road. All right, I won't. Jade knows what I'm after. But he comes to verse 19. He says, my little children for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth in other words, what he is saying to this Galatian church is I, I'm wrestling with you about what you think is legalism in the law, but it's way more fundamental than how the law applies or doesn't apply to your life. He said, I've got to go all the way back to the moment of childbirth. In other words, what are we really talking about here relative to the law. I'm in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now again, we're talking Antioch. We're talking about making sure that we have drilled down to the hard stone. We're down to bed, rock, square one reality about the nature of this gospel. And the nature of this gospel begins with the seed of the Father's revelation administered by the word of God primarily through hearing, not reading, because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. 
How many of you know there is the, the sound of God's eternity in the human voice? Faith is something that is stimulated in the reality of God using the human voice to touch the human spirit. Now my reading of scripture enlightens me, but there is no substitute for hearing revelation through the human voice. Some of the older ones here in the spirit, you've had the experience where you are speaking to somebody about God and all of a sudden, if you have ears, you can hear the Lord show up in your voice and it's no longer just you speaking. I mean, it is your voice, but there's another dimension of sound that is coming through your voice. And when you see that, then you can watch the people who you are speaking to respond. You can see from their eyes the ones that are hearing something now that is different than the human voice. And that is the faith of God working through the human voice to elicit a response to those he is calling. Say amen if you understand what I'm saying. Okay. So while we begin our journey in Christianity with that as Peter calls it, the spermatozoa, the sperm, literally the sperm of God's word being planted and reviving the human spirit, human spirit coming to life. This is not about, or let me put it this way, this is a lot bigger than simply forgiving my sins as important as that is. But that is a lesser level than the beginning of the literal formation of the nature of Jesus Christ in my being. Christ is being formed within you. This, because the problem is not that we sin, the problem is we have a sin nature. We have a natural proclivity. We have a gravity force within us that cannot do anything or help but sin. It is our nature that needs to be changed, which is a little more complex than being good little boys and girls and no longer smoking, no longer drinking, no longer fornicating, whatever it is that we no longer do, even those things, even though they are all signs of transformation, it's a little deeper than just sin dropping off. It's about literally changing the way we think, changing the way we manage our emotions, changing our very nature is what salvation is about. It is about Christ, Jesus Christ, 
literally infusing himself into our being through the transmission of the Holy Spirit, which is why Jesus said, if I don't leave, it's you, you're, you're smoked, you're, you're cooked, you're fried, because the only way you can actually be who I need you to be and who I've called you to be is to leave so the Holy Spirit will begin the impregnation of my being into your soul, into your body, into your spirit. Now we're talking about... Now we're talking about Christianity 1A. This is not PhD Christianity. This is basic Christianity, which sounds like PhD Christianity because we are, we are still so far away from what God wants us to see about the nature of what salvation really is. Now, let me, let me take this another step. Let's go to Luke 17. Luke 17, 20, being asked by the Pharisees, who are the guardians of theology, in Christ's day, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them saying, the kingdom of God is not coming on a rocket ship. It is not coming just by signs and wonders dropping down in a church service. It's more basic, more fundamental than that. It's not coming with signs to be observed. It isn't that those signs are not part of the kingdom, but he's saying that is not the essence of the kingdom because the enemy can produce signs and wonders. And by the way, I expect a lot more of that to increase. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, behold. For the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, that is an interesting Greek word. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know how to, I know about etymology. I know how to get to root word meanings. Greek word there is entos, and it's translated Several different ways. Some translations, the kingdom of God is within you and the kingdom of God is among you. It's translated both ways and both things are true. How many of you God, know God can make words have double meanings? Two sides of the same coin. Flip them over. Is the kingdom of God among you? Absolutely, because Jesus is there. Okay, wherever Jesus is, is the manifestation of the kingdom. But he's saying something more than that. He's saying the kingdom of God is within you. He said if you want to see the kingdom, you need to understand the kingdom of God manifests on the earth 
as the seed of Jesus Christ is planted within a human being and Christ begins to grow and be formed in that human being. Which is a little more than being a good little boy and a good little girl. It's being impregnated, literally, literally, God has planted himself within you. And having planted himself within you by the person of the Holy Spirit, he begins to grow and take territory within you. He begins the process of changing your will, the process of changing your mind, the process of changing your speech, the process of giving you ears to hear and eyes to see that are his ears and his eyes using your ears and your eyes. And your heart begins to change because he is now changing your heart. Now the question is, how clear are you on, the re on this level of reality? And can you handle it? I'm back to Colonel Jessup. Or what's his name? It wasn't Jessup. Who was the colonel and a few good men? His, what his name was. Remember the, remember the famous you can't handle the truth? I'm challenging Christians everywhere I go. Can you handle what has really happened to you if you are in fact a Christian? We human beings are relatively fragile creatures. I think sometimes it's easier for us to believe that somebody has a demon than to believe that we have another being inside of us that is not us. How deep does the rabbit hole go? How much have you really thought about what's going on in you if you are in fact a follower of Jesus Christ? The Bible says that Christ is being formed in you if you will permit that process to take place. Now I can only share with you that this level of reality, which has been working in me for some time, can be a little scary. 
because we call ourselves me. And what happens if me is being intertwined by another being called the Holy Spirit who is multispatial? He literally can be everywhere at the same time because he does not have corporiety. He's not corporeal. He's not limited to space or contained by space. He is wherever he wants to be all the time. I remember they asked Einstein, do you believe in God? He said, Absolutely. Do you believe in the God of the Bible? He said, well, my struggle is the God I believe could not be explained even by the Bible. Now, I understand. That wasn't a good answer, but I understand what he was trying to say. The challenge of a being as intelligent as God is, who anybody believes in evolution, I say, boy, you really have faith. Are you kidding me? Do you really believe that probability could create something as complex as this? I mean, you took an acid trip and never came down. Okay, that's my Berkeley talk. Okay, the complexity of this thing, the grandeur of this thing, the size of this thing, and we're, we're peeling the onion, and our little puny scientific brains probably haven't even blown the dust off the size of this thing. And the being who created that is stuck trying to communicate himself to us with our capacities of knowledge and understanding, and the fragility of what we even call me. How do you communicate to me that somebody who is the very creator of all this has got this process going on where inside of you he has impregnated you with his being and he is growing his being in you to the degree that you will let circumstances open you up to your own stupid stuff and let him grow in you rather than fighting your own stupid stuff and as being defensive about our own stupid stuff like we all do and blaming so much of it on the devil when it's in fact our father trying to crack us and open us up so that he can get more of himself into the parts of us that still are holding on to our own identity. Are you breathing? I told you you needed air tanks. know what I'm doing wrong but if we're going to be an Antioch especially in a 
deteriorating culture. We're going to have to understand who we are. We're going to have to face the reality that God is not us, but he is changing us and align. he is aligning whatever my real name is, because Dennis ain't it. I'll get my name when I see him. That he is in the process of maintaining the distinctiveness of my being, which is unique. All of our beings are unique. But he is permeating himself in me without destroying who I am. In fact, making the real me come to life that can only come to life as he impregnates more and more of his nature into what I call me. Now, when this level of reality, I don't know what level you're hearing me. When this level of reality begins to get into us, we're not waiting to die. We're not afraid of death. We're, we're recognizing that we have already, to a measure, passed on into the eternal which is another way of saying as what Paul tried to say in Colossians 1, 12, 13. He said, you've been translated, not will be, you have been translated into the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, is growing in me already. It's not something that will happen to me later. It's something that happened to me when Christ impregnated me in the Holy Spirit and his kingdom is growing in me now. It's not something that will grow in me when I die. Now the desert fathers who were the direct Descendants there in Egypt of Polycarp and Arrhenius and the Apostle John. And I don't know how many are familiar with them, but these guys, they really went after it big time for centuries. And they teach, and I would not dispute it, that as your spirit grows, it actually gets larger than your physical body. And that is why Peter's shadow began to heal people. That's why Paul, when he touched hankies, his spirit man was being embedded in other material things. Okay. We get a little heavy here. Okay. How many of you have the guts? to want enough of Jesus that what I'm talking about 
actually can become real and you can hold your little personality together and I'm talking to me too. I can hold my little tenuous grasp on my own personality together and not flip out with God using you for stuff you know is not you. And by the way, you're glad is not you, but you're scared to death because you're out here so far in thin air and who else is out here with you that is human? Because there's not a lot of people out there. There's a lot of people who are out there, but they're not out there in the way we're talking about. Are you with me? I ran into a lot of them in Berkeley way back when. They were way out there. <laughs> now, how many here, how many here is it going to take to begin to create a true Antioch? I have no idea. I don't know. But I know there will... There will have to be a core. There's going to have to be a core. And Paul was in a core. Those guys who were praying and fasting. He was in a core that infected the whole world of their day. And he didn't infect them with the level of the gospel that we have heard. He infected them with the level of the gospel we're trying to talk about here tonight. And I say trying to talk about because I realize that my own ability to communicate what I see in this and to some degree what I'm experiencing in this is limited. limited okay American Christianity relative to what I'm describing is about that thick and we can build a praise center we can build a teaching center we can build a lot of stuff just on human energy with a little bit of God thrown in so that it looks legit but never really get what we're reaching for here right now. What I'm trying to reach for. Now that's interesting for me to preach here in what used to be called Mecca. Colorado Springs, eight zillion Christian organizations doing whatever they do or did, okay? Does that mean that God does not have something special for this place? I actually believe he does. I think this was a Braxton Hicks I think this was a premature phenomena. 
designed to start a fire and burn it out so that nobody will want to build on that parched, burned ground. And we're back to burn stones, aren't we? Some of you were here when I was here in September. We had a word that God wants to build on burned stones. Some of you are burned stones. And that's, to some degree, all of us who've been at this for a while, we're all burned stones. We've all, we've all seen what didn't happen, what shouldn't have happened, what could have happened. Everybody, God and the devil, both make sure that everybody that names the name of Christ has got plenty of reasons to be disillusioned. That goes with the territory. Okay. If you've not had the opportunity to be disillusioned, be of good courage. It's coming. Okay. That's part of the test. Part of the test. So, and I think what I'll do is pick this up tomorrow. And I don't know if I'm going to try and go as drive down under like I've tried to do here tonight uh, you know the chances are you're here tonight because God wanted you to hear this and I, I, I don't know if you know this God thins the crowd by circumstances I love to go and preach somewhere in the middle of a great storm because that means the ones that really were supposed to be there made it and the other ones didn't and that's not a judgmental statement. It's just a statement that that is the way, you know, Gideon thinned them down to the ones that took the water looking around. That's, you know, some of them just put their head in the water. A real warrior in a battlefield does not <laughs> drop down into the water and say later for what's around me. He thinned it down to the real warriors. But I'll just, I'll just introduce this before I quit here just for a moment. Matthew 13, which is the foundation of so much of Christ's teaching on the kingdom. He begins this incredible chapter on the kingdom. I live in Matthew 13 a lot. With the parable of the sower. He's, you know, he sowed seeds some fell on the path birds came and devoured it others fell on rocky ground didn't have soil sprang up quick no depth when the sun rose scorched gone since they had no root they withered away others fell among thorns grew up choked them out others fell on good soil produced grain hundredfold you say Antioch, you're talking a hundredfold church. Some 60, some 30. I'll do, I'll, I'll get into that tomorrow morning. But in order to produce a hundredfold, you have to have survived all of these tests. See, we read this as different people. But I want to open you up to the possibility, and I would say the reality, 
that our Christian walk is an opportunity to be tested on every phase of this. I know people 30, 40 years ago baptized in the Holy Ghost that are reprobates today. I'm sure some of you do. A new seed, a new part of the seed, a new revelation fell. But the condition they were in when they received it, some of them aren't reprobates, but following the Holy Spirit, alive in the Holy Spirit, they're not alive in the Holy Spirit. They may still be saved, but something in their soil had changed. So your soil is something that has to be capable of receiving new revelation and letting it go down deep because you can have so much scar tissue, if you will, that your soil that was once loose and able for roots to go in has now got a cement top on it. Could be because you haven't forgiven somebody so your revelation level has stopped. Could be because you're disappointed in what happened and you've got unbelief that has now hardened your soil. This is not just something that is talking about a seed that hits once and that's the way you respond. It's a process as Christ is growing in us, being formed in us. So I know and I'm, I will be here having a lot of fun with you. I believe in nonsense and which tells me Jesus does because I know Jesus is inside me. He really is. I know Jesus can hang out in bars and change the bar. Christians can't, but Jesus can. If you heard what I just said. God bring us to the point where there's enough of Jesus in us that we change the sinners instead of them changing us. Okay? So I'm, I'm just saying I'm going to have a lot of fun here at the Super Bowl party. I think it'll be great. A lot of fun. But while I'm here, Jesus is still here in me. Okay? I'm not putting him to sleep. I want to enjoy the Super Bowl with Jesus and with you. Okay. What I'm saying as I close is I'm asking our Heavenly Father right now to open up whatever needs to be opened up in everybody here to have the courage to deal with the fact that you've got somebody else inside you that is not you. And you can trust that person because that person loves you. That person created you. That person is the only person that can release who you really are because you can't release yourself. None of us can. 
If you are saved, you are impregnated with God himself. And the word of God is becoming flesh in you in the same way it did in Jesus of Nazareth, who was God, but in his humanity, God was growing in him as well. And that's a great mystery to us. But Jesus was a nine-month baby and went to the bathroom in diapers and was in the process himself, tested in all points like unto us, fully man, fully God, mysterious as that is, but in the process himself of the Father revealing himself to him more and more and more. Lord Jesus, please help us. Please help us, Father, to go beyond and deep so that who you really are in us, to us, and through us, that we become self-consciously aware of that, not afraid of it, not overwhelmed by it, but only able to worship you, Father, because you not only created us, you're reanimating us, so to speak. You're bringing a fallen creation and redeeming it to yourself. And may this place have enough clarity of who you are in us to actually create a community of saints that can begin to bring change to the surrounding community of Gentiles that you've called us to pattern after. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name and for his sake. And his sons and daughters said, Amen. Let it be. Bless you. It's great to be with you.